So, as you know, in this series from James, I have received uh, different tools. Uh, some I had to provide myself because I wasn't getting any. Uh, some have given me some that I don't even understand. I've got one from David uh, Ragsdale where I saw David that I'm going to have to research it before I can even explain it. He's explained it to me twice, and I still don't think I could explain it to someone. But this one is a little more in my uh, wheelhouse. However, um, I hope you don't ever need one because if you need this, your car is probably starting to smoke. It may have lost power, and it may be consuming more oil than even gasoline. So if that helps you understand it, it came from Wayne Mars, and he gave me a wonderful sermon illustration with it. My guess is he might have used that at some time in his life because it, it rolled off his tongue so well. But uh, let me show you that part of it right there. Anybody got an idea what that is? Actually, it's upside down because I'm going to turn it that way to where then you could put this. And this is a nice one, Wayne. You may not get this one back. I probably will never use this. This little ratchet... They, they have a way of wandering around my house. And I never see them again. But you could put this thing in there and make it, you know, make it that way. It's going to get smaller. So does anybody have an idea what it is? Piston ring compressor. Absolutely. So I have some Weisenheimers in here who have been checking out the tools in my office. But uh, yes. But the way Wayne explained it, I thought it was perfect. He says, you know, that God sometimes will grip you really tight, constrain you, compress you, put you somewhere you really don't want to go, and then he lets you go to where you can live for him there. And, and Wayne, I probably didn't use it as well, say it as well as you did, but I thought that's a wonderful illustration, and many of you might have felt that way, that God took you, grabbed you, constrained you a little bit, let you go in this church that you may not have thought, you know, it was the place for you, but now you have been working and serving and you see God's hand uh, upon you and upon others as you serve him in this place. Now, it would seem that the congregation that James was writing to was in need of a ring compressor. I mean, they were smoking. They were on fire. They're, they're, he talks about their fighting. They're, they're, they're killing. He talks about murder. Then he uses the word adultery, and I'm thinking he's writing to a church. They definitely could have used this compressor in this particular setting. Well, at least, um, let me just have you turn in your Bibles to that fourth chapter of James's letter. He would tell them, the way you've been living has been so unfaithful to God that it looks like you're more of a friend of the world than a friend of God's. That's another song, Mark. I thought I told Pierce, it's the only one that came to my, my mind. I am a friend of God. Because yeah, yeah. um, nobody wants to say I'm a friend of the world, right? We don't want to be friends with the devil. Because he says you're an enemy if you're of God if you're a friend of the world. And then he goes on in the midst of all this and says that even if you have done the worst of things, there is enough grace to cover you to redeem you, to uplift you, because if you will only humble, submit yourself to God, he will lift you up. So, if you have your Bibles, um, the title this morning, oh, okay, I, and I, the guys up there in the booth, you know, some places have a clicker, some guys have a code word, they do so well just to try to hang with me, because where is he going today? 
Um, James, this is our title today, Faith That Works Requires Humility. Faith, faith That Works Requires Humility. I've said all along that this book is a test, it's kind of a handbook on val validating your faith because a working faith or a living faith is a working faith and a working faith is a living faith. So today we'll see that a faith that works requires humility. And let's go with verse one. I read the first three verses last week because it, most commentators, does it go with the last section or the next section? I think it's a good transition section when James writes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you deny us God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, you two-faced, some would say. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, as we look at a passage of Scripture that seems harsh to even say that we might be a enemy of yours is painful to hear. And we think that this congregation that James was writing to is different than us, but so many times we do quarrel, we fight. Uh, we're unfaithful to you because we often love this world more than the Savior. I pray in this hour that we might humble ourselves, that we might strip away all the pride and the ego, the contempt we, may, we might have for others, and say, Lord, we all are on level ground at the cross, in need of you. That's why, as James writes in these words, we can think about crying and grieving, because without you, we're nothing. There is no forgiveness. There's this complete absence of love and grace in our lives. So today, we humbly bow seeking your face. Speak to us in this hour, for I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our first point this morning is betrayal of believers. Betrayal of believers. Talk about a hot mess church. Not ours. No one even laughed. They must think it's a hot mess. 
<laughs> it's got fights, it's got quarrels, it's got battles, it's got killing, it's got coveting, and he uses the word adultery. How could the same people that James is referred to as my dear brothers or beloved brothers, he says that like three or four times prior to this fourth chapter, now he calls them adulterers. And if you've got the King James or one of the other translations, it may have included what, uh, if you study the original languages, some transcripts have adulterers and adulteresses. That's a hard word for me to say. That's a male and female people committing adultery, being unfaithful to a spouse. Well, let's back up just a second. The word adultery in the Hebrew mindset was anyone who worshipped some god other than the true god. So when we think of ourselves and never would label ourselves as adulterers or adulteresses, how many times have you been, have you been unfaithful to God? And if you want to add more word study, the word for adultery here in the Greek is a feminine word. You know, in, in Spanish, French, other words are male and female words. Um, the idea that the church is the bride of Christ and this relationship between Christ and his bride, we, the bride, have been unfaithful to him. That's why you would use the feminine word. It's not an insult to men or women. It's, it's basically an attack on all of us, being faithful to someone other than God. Betrayal is the breaking of trust. It is not keeping a covenant, a promise, your word, something that you said you believed you did contrary to that. And James says, when you live for yourself, when you live for your own desires, when you live for your own pleasures, ahead of God's pleasures, desires, and wants, you have betrayed him. You have broken your vow. You have become unfaithful to him, our Heavenly Father. He tells us that if we are friends with the world, we are enemies of God. That hurts. That's heavy. That's a heavy criticism for any of us to shoulder. I don't know about you, but that brings fear to my heart to ever be considered an enemy of God. So we have to ask ourselves, have we loved the world more than God? Have you been flirting with the world and been unfaithful to he who made you, saved you, and sustained you? Young people may not remember this illustration because, um, maybe you read it in a history book. It happened in 1994, the Rwandan genocide. Those of you who may remember the I always get them backwards. Hit, hit, hit to, hang on, Dennis, help me. I know it's the, there's two different groups and they both have I words and I've got them written down. It's the Hutus. They're the ones who were the murdering their brethren in their nation of Rwanda. And in a period of 100 days, they slaughtered over 800,000 people. Some estimate a million. I was one of the chaplains on Stand by it. Even got my malaria pills and the gamma globulin glue they stick in your glutamus maximus, as I recall. And it goes in like Elmer's glue. 
And only as the Air Force could do, they issued me a pallet of water. A pallet that I was to take from England to Germany to Rwanda. And I thought, I ain't very smart, but I don't know how I'm going to carry that. And like two days before I was to go, uh, they said, hey, we've got enough chaplains here. Uh, you don't have to come. It was all afterwards and people dealing with the, the mind-blowing visions of death. So I have followed that. Uh, got to go uh, years later to um, Botswana where the trials for the Rwanda uh, genocide crimes were being taken place. And, and I listened in as they, they uh, were talking to these people. Many of them were ministers. And those of you who know this whole... Um, craziness that people do to each other. Uh, they were determining intellect by the distance of your eyes from each other and the breadth of your nose. That's how, that's how they told the differences between those two ethnic groups in Rwanda. So I stumbled on this as I continued to look at stuff for that because it, it made an impact on me. I was told by the command chaplain, hey, you know, read up everything you can on mass death and how to handle people who have seen things that they would never want to see. Um, and I came across this CNN uh, article about a woman, and I cannot pronounce her name because her first name is this long and her last name is this long. Suffice it to say, she was making baskets for Macy's now. This is some, what is that, 30 years later almost. She's making ba baskets, peace baskets that are sewed in Macy's. But she tells the story of losing her husband and her four children. And years later, you know, some 15, almost 20 years after it, one of the men who had been accused and found guilty of murdering people during that genocide, had seen her and said, I would like to make some sort of, you know, peace with you. And she said, based on her Christian faith, she had to forgive him, how difficult it was to do that. And eventually in this CNN interview, she talks about having him at her house for a meal. He was not the one who had killed her family, but she had entertained someone who had done so much pain to someone else. And she attributed it all to the grace of God because she had tasted his forgiveness. And that's really what James is saying. He's moving us from thinking that we might be enemies of God because of all the wickedness we have done in our lives. Face it, there have been so many times when you have been unfaithful to him. Wicked in his eyesight. And he says that my grace is sufficient. In fact, I will give you even more grace. And Pierce and I discussed this one verse that leads into that, talking about jealousy. And we know in the Old Testament, it refers, says that God is a jealous God. And in this particular passage, the NIV has a little uh, footnote that talks about the fact that the, the word for envy or jealousy is a word for longing in this Greek at this time. And it is the Spirit of God that is longing for this relationship with us. If we will only return to Him, His grace will be sufficient. It will be more than you can imagine. It's like the Niagara Falls of grace coming down to that boat on the bottom. It's a never-ending source of grace for those at the lowest position in our life. And that's my second point, the gravity of of grace. You know, water goes to where, you know, the gravity forces it or causes it to flow into. And as I mentioned last week, as we talked briefly in the, the latter part of chapter 3, 
it talks about submit or submission. And I know we've talked about it at other times. We've talked about it in 1 Corinthians, and, and we've talked about it in other passages where Ephesians um, of submitting one to another. But if we begin with the knowledge as verse, I believe it's verse 6 begins, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if grace is given to the humble, in verse 7, we are to be humble ourselves before God. Submit yourselves to God. Because humility and submission to God are the way to experience His grace. How do you get grace? Submit. Allow Him to rain down on you. Humility, I think I have a slide for this one. Maybe I don't. Yeah, humility is the opposite of a sense of entitlement. We live in a society and a time that everyone thinks they're entitled. And even when you try not to be entitled, how many times I've been in a restaurant and somebody cuts in front of me because I'm trying to give them my, their space, then I get mad. I mean, you even try to be humble sometimes and you feel like you're entitled because you're trying to be humble. But here's that latter part there, the opposite of you owe me. That's the way so many of us go through life. You owe me. You owe me this. No, you don't. No, no, we don't. No, God doesn't owe you anything. But he is true to his word. And if you will confess your sins and ask him for forgiveness, he is faithful to restore you and let his gravity of grace flow down on you. Look at these texts that support what James and actually Peter will say. The next one, this is who both writers, both James and Peter quote. This is Proverbs, King Solomon. He laughs at the proud who make fun of others, but he gives grace to those who are not proud. And then you see it repeated here in James, and I think I have the first Peter text next. Young men, follow the lead of those who are older. All of you put on a spirit that is free of pride towards each other as if, you were as if it were your clothes, Scripture says. God opposes, the, he's quoting again Proverbs, God opposes those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are not. We go on with it. So don't be proud. Put yourselves under God's mighty hand that he will honor you at the right time. Turn all your worries over to him. He cares about you. And I think there's one more. Control yourselves. Be on your guard. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. I knew you were going to sing, our God is a lion. <laughs> we got a bigger lion, yeah, bigger lion than this evil lion. He prowls around looking for someone to chew up and swallow, but our God is bigger than that. Stand up to him. Stand firm in what you believe. All over the world, you know that your brothers and sisters are going through the same kind of suffering. Well, when I think about humility and I think about receiving God's grace, one of the most humble things in my life has been the times when I showed up at a checkout counter, usually a few years ago before I had credit cards that I could flip a credit card out. But if you've ever showed up to check out, especially at the grocery store, and not have enough money, that's humbling. And I mean, there's no more pennies in the ashtray in the car to run out to and get. And the piggy bank at home is already broken. And you've already asked everybody for money you possibly could. You are short. You're flat out broke. And you're in debt. 
Well, James reminds us that we're all broken. We're all tapped out, cashed out. The piggy bank has been broken. It's empty. We have no credit left on our credit cards. Hopefully you haven't got to that point, but there is another. That's what happens. You, know, you run out of cash, so you start using the credit card and use it so much, there's no credit left on the card. With God, he will restore us because of his grace and the gravity of grace that flows down to us. I want to play a, a quick little video that um, is one of my, you know, I love movies. It's one of my favorites. It's a little bit older. It is the true story of James Braddock, who is, is a Cinderella man who was a very successful boxer, and then the Great Depression came. He lost his house. He lost his business. Uh, he lost all of his money. He goes to live in, in basically a basement of an apartment complex. In real, this is all true. And uh, having lost his job as a boxer, uh, he has worked as a longshoreman when he could get work. And he's come to the point in his life where he's, he has no money. He's had to farm his kids out because he can't feed them and he can't pay the power bills. And he's gone now to the boxing commission, or at least the kind of club where those guys hang out, needing money. The thing is, I can't afford to, uh, I can't afford to pay the heat. I've had to farm out my kids. You know, to keep cutting shifts down at the docks, and you just don't get picked every day. Sold everything I got that anybody would buy. <laughs> I went on public assistance. I signed on at the relief office. They gave me $19. I need another $18.38 so I can pay the bill and get the kids back. You know me well enough to know if I had anywhere else to go. I wouldn't be here. If you could help me through this time, I sure would be grateful. Sure, Jim. Sure. Notice how he makes Good luck. Jim. Hey, Jimmy.
Shorty. of grace when you have no place to go when you cannot pay the debt and when you can acknowledge all those God is faithful he'll let his grace fall down on you someone said well, that's been quoted a gazillion times that a picture is worth a thousand words so a movie picture must be worth like a million pictures right this is one last clip I want to share with you because I think I read this story when it happened, but I'd never seen the video. Um, when I learned, when I finished my uh, pilot's license, I would fly from Fort Worth. I finished my license in seminary. Shows you probably I didn't pay enough attention in seminary. I would spend more time at the airport. So that may mark it, maybe a lot of problems. But you would fly from Fort Worth to Denton, to Gainesville, sometimes down to Stephenville, uh, sometimes out to Wichita Falls. You have to do the long cross countries. And in Gainesville, Texas, there's actually a juvenile uh, detention center, kind of a prison. And this is an example of grace that uh, I think is wonderful. So. Teamwork on three. One, two, three. Teamwork. If you're a fan of high school basketball, you're not alone. Good boy! But if you're a fan of the Gainesville Tornadoes in Gainesville, Texas, then you are Good alone. Stay in the middle. Stay in the middle. Usually... Our fan base was close to zero. My parents came uh, one game, but they didn't come to the other ones because they didn't have time. The other students at Gainesville don't come to the games either, mostly because they can't get out. This is a juvenile correction facility for felony offenders. And one of the few perks here for very good behavior is a chance to leave the prison a few times a year to play basketball. They play against private schools like Vanguard College Prep in Waco. And it was before that recent matchup that two Vanguard players announced they weren't going to play against a team with no fans. No one likes playing in an empty gym. But isn't that supposed to be a good thing for you? You don't have the other fans cheering against you? I guess, but it just seems weird, you know? It just didn't seem right. So, before their home game against Gainesville, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson asked some of the Vanguard fans for a favor. To cheer for Gainesville instead. The Gainesville players had no idea what was happening. They walked onto the court to find their own signs of support, their own cheerleaders, even their own fan section. Half the crowd was assigned to cheer for Gainesville. But then as it went on, everybody just kind of got so into it. Nobody was cheering everyone, for you. <laughs> everyone was cheering for them. I mean, every time they scored, the gym was just lit up with cheering and clapping and everyone was on their feet. This is not what I've ever seen sports be. I think in a way this is kind of how sports should be. It, it just kind of showed me the real impact that encouragement and support 
for anybody can make. Hudson says we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. It's something I won't forget. When I'm old man, I'm just gonna think about this. I'll probably remember this for the rest of my life. And finally, as for who won the game, well, obviously they didn't care. So why should we? I would invite you this morning to be a part of the gravity of grace, experience God's grace, and then share God's grace, just as that basketball team shared with someone else. Because as that commentator said, we all need someone to love us, even when they know our sins. God knows your mistakes. God knows your failures. And he is faithful to love you and to forgive you if you'll only humble and submit yourself to him. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation in this service. If there's someone here who's been carrying the burden of sin, the guilt of knowing they have not lived for you, the unfaithfulness of their actions towards you and perhaps towards others. Lord, I pray on this day, this time, this invitation, they would come and receive the forgiveness, that they would experience the grace that flows down from heaven and rest upon their shoulders. Lord, I pray that whatever decision there is here to be made, that your Holy Spirit would move freely that if there's someone here, Lord, who's never come to know you, this would be the day. And Lord, if there's someone who wants to come and talk about membership, Lord, we'll talk about that. But we are right now just let, want you to let your grace flow down upon us. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.